Okay, also on your seats is another set of notes, and this is today's notes for the series that we started just last week, actually. And it was a series called, Do You Believe in Life After Love? And really, it's a guide to life after marriage. That I, I, I'm quite disappointed, really, with the Christian marriages that I meet and the, the Christian husbands, the Christian wives. We could do so much better. You can say amen there. <laughs> wives can do so much better. The husbands could do so much better. Don't seem to heed the, the, you know, our knowledge base. We've been in churches for years. We've heard this church, uh, this stuff a thousand times. And yet so dull. Ever hearing, but never understanding, never implementing. So we, were, we are without excuse, you know, in regards to, to a lot of this stuff. Let's begin this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her and washing her with water through the word and to, uh, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. And look at this next verse. Because this is where we're going to kick off. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and he will be united to his wife. As some men never unite with their wives, you know, marriage never gets started because they're still got the wrong backward connections. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you should love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So last week we began just looking at life after marriage. It's, it's easy to fall in love. That's the easy bit. Simplest thing on earth, folks. It's not difficult to fall in love with people. You just have to spend time with them. But what happens then is you've got a whole life to live. And I believe it should be a happy life. I believe in Romans 12 where Paul says that the will of God for me is good, pleasing and perfect. I believe I can have that. Right? In my marriage. It can be good, pleasing and perfect. Not that we won't have rocky times. Of course you will. But the will of God, the scripture says for me, for you, is good, pleasing and perfect. Now, Somebody came up to me at the end of last week's message and said, Whoa, you were a bit hard on the men. <laughs> Do you know the Bible has four times as much to say to men as women? Four times. So I make no apology. If you don't get that, that's not my fault. It is a biblical principle that everything starts with the men. In fact, the premise of the Bible is this. Listen close. If you can get the men right you can get the wives right. If you can get the men right, you can get the children right. If you can get the men right, you can get the churches right. And that's from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. It doesn't change over time. 
But unfortunately, there was the era from the 60s on where, you know, feminism kicked in. And a lot of people spent a lot of time trying to convince us that men and women were really just the same. What a disaster. Did you see the graph last week? You see? It, we're not just the same. And thank God, the last since about the 90s on, there's been a bit of a change back. And they say, you know what? Men and women are not the same. And look at the disaster that has caused. Just not obeying the book, not living by the book. I feel very sorry for women in, in a lot of situations. Honestly, I do. Uh, it, it's, it's dreadful because they suffer so much in this. And we'll maybe come to that in weeks to come. Historically, meaning the last 50 years or so, a lot of the studies on earth that have been done on marriage have been done on, on broken marriages, looking at the problems. Why did they break up? What caused this? What caused that? And, and after a time, there became a little bit of awareness. Maybe we're not doing the right thing here. Maybe we should study strong marriages. And maybe we should draw much more emphasis out of marriages that actually work. And there was a bit of a swing, say 10, 15 years ago, within marriage groups around the world to say, let's do exactly that. And I'm glad to say that they have done a lot of work that we can benefit from. There's been a refining, a, a percolation of, of, of global marriages to see what makes marriages work. When you find a happily married couple, what are the common denominators? Now, if I took your notes off you and gave you a blank sheet this morning and asked you to write the top 10, top eight things that happily married couples do, I wonder what you would write. That would be a very telling list. Amen. You would understand yourself a little bit. But this is the real list you've got in front of you. And it starts with a very surprising one because I certainly wouldn't have put it there. The number one thing that they discovered that happily married people have done is they have successfully separated from their parents. They have moved on into their marriage and it's not difficult to see why. You know, I, my home was quite happy. My parents weren't perfect. They had their own problems. But see... My mom and dad did things a certain way. Jeanette's mom and dad did things another way, right? And when these two worlds collide, you can have a lot of grief over that. I mean, you, 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 there's countless things that are done differently in these different worlds, like money. The way my parents handled money, very different from the way Jeanette's parents handled money. Like my mom and dad had uh, like her money and his money. That's the way they handled it. He always had his. And I, I grew up hearing them saying, that's mine and that's yours. You know, then fine. It worked like a treat for them. They had no trouble with that whatsoever. But I, I don't like that. So everything in our house is ours. And I, so there's a system, you see. But that system didn't work for me. Worked for you, that's fine. But I couldn't live like that. I hate having that. It, but Jeanette had a different system. She would quite happily have her money and my money, you know? But she's very gracious and says, okay, we'll do things your way. But it's a lifelong habit. And if she's got no money and I give her 20 quid or something, she buys something, she goes to give me back the change. And I, do, I, I can't take it. I said, don't need to change. What do you give me change for? Because you see these systems? See your upbringing? See how deep that goes? Even after years of saying, I, I just can't see it like that. So you can do a lot of damage in your marriage if you try to bring other systems in. I mean, hey, it goes way beyond money. There's housework, there's raising the children. 
you will have had all different perspectives and you need to be able to marry. You, you know, the, the husband and wife need to marry and come together and you've got your own marriage and it's not your parents. Before marriage, the input of your parents, of course, is extremely important. Listen to your mum. Listen to your dad. They care about you immeasurably. They're wiser than you. They've been through life, right? And they can see things that you'll never see because you're too young. So listen to them. Listen to their advice. But (laughs) after marriage, it's a completely different story. And that man, that new husband needs to learn to take responsibility. He needs to learn to stand on his own two feet, to run his own family, and not to be running back to daddy or mommy. Amen. Amen. It's got to happen. So this is not culture. I don't care what your culture is. I'm talking from the Bible. It says, man, leave and cleave. The Bible says. Because I know, especially in Asian culture, there's a real deep connection there. We're talking way above cultures here, folks. Way above cultures. The scripture is right. You can bring a lot of grief into your home by not doing that. And of course, this is where the dreaded mother-in-law comes from. There's probably more jokes about mother-in-laws than anything else on earth. Amen? But, you know, just in the pastoral role, right? You meet lots of mother-in-laws. I thank God not too many. Most mother-in-laws are very nice. Most mother-in-laws are fine. But the problematic ones... Are, are, are really, it's the Genesis woman. By the way, you can be a mother-in-law without being a mother-in-law. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be a mother-in-law to be a mother-in-law. Because it's a type. It's a type. It's the Genesis 3 woman. Your desire, remember what God said? Remember the punishment. What was the punishment on Eve for sin? Even though I made you stronger than the man, the Ezer Konegdo, the helpmate, even though that's the case, Eve, the punishment on womankind is this. You will not, even though you're stronger spiritually, I put the man with the anointing and the authority over you. That's the punishment for Eve taking that fruit. Okay? And death was the ultimate punishment on Adam, but it was a specific punishment on Eve. Now, do you know who the mother-in-law is? You see, it's not necessarily a mother-in-law. It's a female type. It's the Ezer Konegdo, the one of superior strength who never learns to deal with it. She's never got over it. She's got to rule. She's got to dominate. She's the mother-in-law, right? And she comes a-hunting. Now, as I say, I haven't, most mother-in-laws that I've dealt with have been fine. But you do get the odd one that's an absolute disaster. And they are the type. You can be single here this morning and be that type. And it goes a bit like this. Your typical woman who hasn't dealt with this, they will marry a weak man. They will seek a weaker type of man. They're not attracted to strong men. And they think, I'll marry a weak man and that way I'll be happy because I can control him like a puppy dog. You know, come on. (laughs) But you know what? It doesn't take five minutes. And the same woman is unhappy. Can't, can't live with this, but I don't want something else. Can't live with this guy. Can't. It's a terrible situation. And that's why I say I feel very sorry for the mother-in-law types. So what happens is that particular type of woman can't control her home. Her home is unhappy and it turns into disaster. What's next? The kids. I'll have another go. Enter the mother-in-law. 
I'll have another go. It didn't work with my husband, but that's just him. Never mind him. I'll go and have a go and I'll live out this dominant thing through their lives. And then what you get is you get the event. You get the incident that happens when you go into divorces or homes that have fallen apart. There's always the, you know, the trigger, the point where everything started. And you talk to that couple or that woman who's on her own and say, well, take me back. And if you dig deep enough, you'll hear something like this. Well, they got married. You know, my daughter got married to this, this idiot. You know, and then what happened was he said he wanted the baby's room to be painted pink. And I wanted peach. And what happens, you see, the mother-in-law goes over and she says, I, I think we should do it peach. And the guy says, I'm going to do it actually pink. And she says, what? I'm going to do it pink. You're what? I, I've decided to paint it pink. Right. Okay, Listen. That woman, Ezer Konegdo, it's in all women, be careful. That woman can go out, and you know what? She, nothing is too high a cost to get that guy. Nothing. She will ruin her home. She will ruin her children's lives. She will walk away from the Lord. She will do any, hell hath no fury like an Ezer Konegdo scorned. There's always the event. There's always the moment at which this woman didn't get away. I said, peach. Now, how dare you not do what I said? You can trace it back in broken marriages, in miserable lives to the event. The thing when I said A and you decided B, you didn't do what I said. Your desire will be to rule over him. But guess what, woman? He's going to rule over you. And it's a terrible thing. It's a sad thing. I haven't, as I say, met too many of them, but I've worked with a few and I haven't seen too much success. So point one, what do happy couples do? The first thing they do is they separate from their parents. They let mom and dad go. By the way, folks, this is a two-way deal. The children have got to let their parents go and you parents have got to let your children go. It works both ways, cuts both ways, and then you'll have a healthy relationship. The second thing that they found, and these are in order of importance. The second thing was that all healthy couples they found, happily married couples, seem to have developed a spirit of interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence, where they became you know, good at working together, working things out together. Amen to that. I'm a barbecue freak, you know. I love barbecue. As soon as the sun's out, I'm out there, you know. And you get a lot of experience lighting fires. And there's a right way to light a fire and a wrong way to light a fire. You can have a log fire. You can have all sorts of things. You have a three-log fire or a two-log fire. But listen to this. The one sure way to kill a fire is to smother one log with the other log. And it's back to that space thing. If you put two logs close together... You don't get what you wanted. There's no dynamic, there's smother, there's no air, they can't breathe. There's no fire in the relationship. There's nothing. One of them is smothering the other. And it's a bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, it's got to be just right. You've got to have equal space, if you like, between the two. And then you can set that match and you'll get fire in that relationship. And it's back to that whole space thing again, you know. Men and women both need space. 
and healthy relationships, number two, imagine that, have learned what that space is. A happy couple is a couple who has, has learned how much space he needs, how much space she needs. What do happily married couples do? Number one, they separate from their parents. Number two, develop a spirit of interdependence within their relationship. And here's a big one. <gasps> Breathe deep. Dethrone the baby. <sighs> Child, baby-centered marriages very quickly become unhappy marriages because the structure is wrong. It's not right. It's out of kilter, right? You've got a husband and wife. The child should grow up in the home knowing very clearly that at best, their voice is number four. At best. And they should be able to grow up with a very clear understanding. Whew. Can't manipulate mummy, can I? Because mummy listens to daddy. And I can't manipulate daddy, can I? Because daddy listens to God. So in my house, there's actually a number four. God is the first voice. Daddy is the second voice. Mommy is the third voice. And I am coming in at best number four. And that child will feel very secure will feel great order, and they can drop the manipulation card, you see? It's only when there's weakness in the order in the home that you get those that interplay that spoils relationships. What a terrible thing. Clear order. And husbands, if you disagree with something your wife has just done, not in front of the children. Take your wife aside. Wait till later. Talk later when the children aren't present. Don't, you know, demean your wife's authority over the children and vice versa. You're spoiling your own home. That's what it says, isn't it? The foolish woman tears her own house down with her words, destroys her own home by what she says. Crazy stuff. So be be very careful. Watch it. Now, when it comes to children, I don't want to depress you, so I didn't give you the statistics, but it goes a bit like this. Watch this. A couple fall in love and they get married, and their happiness level, let's say, is about here. And then she gets pregnant. And when they gauge happiness, guess what's happened? What happens when the woman gets pregnant? The happiness goes up. The problem is having the baby. <laughs> so they get married and they're happy. The happiness goes up when she gets pregnant. Do you know what happens to happiness when she has the baby? <laughs> Straight down. Right? And the graph is, 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 is shocking. And then what happens is they, they, they try to get that thing up, try to get some happiness, try to do this, try this. I'll, I'll do anything to try and get my life back. What, what did I just do? What did I lose? You see? And the graph shows that it goes statistically to when the child is most obnoxious in their late teenage years, you know. And then when they leave home, the couple slowly get their happiness levels back to somewhere near the original. These are worldly statistics not kingdom ones so heed my word on that you don't have to take that in i'm just but you do have to learn from it it would be foolish not to try and learn from that and to see because we can make exactly the same mistakes so you see therefore we've got there there's a dire need for order within our homes so that we can avoid that for godly principles within our homes so that we can avoid that downward spiral. It, the Bible says it does not have to be like that. Good, pleasing, perfect. That's my promise. That's what I can have. But the men particularly, of course, are going to have to lead. The women are going to have to break that, you know, by nature, rebellious streak there. These are connecto. 
sanctify it and use that strength to build your man up, not tear him down. Build your home up, not tear it down. Build a church up, not tear it down. Right? It's the woman gone wild. So be careful. You see how simple these things are, but profound. Separate from your parents and build your own home. Don't smother your partner. Listen to what they have to say and put your input in. Dethrone the baby. Remember you've got a husband. Remember you've got a wife. And four happy couples show, have shown that they grow through tragedies and traumas and the issues that happen all of us. You know, every person in this room is going to encounter tragedy, traumas. That's life. You know, the Bible promises your mom and dad are going to die. My dad just died. They're going to get older and they're going to die. That's life. You're going to encounter traumas. You're going to have to go through those things. Now, look, if there's an earthquake in a city, which building falls first? The ones with foundational flaws, the ones that have not been built correctly, and it's the same with traumas shaking the marriages. What happens is the marriages with flaws in them, they're the ones that go first. And it's not difficult. I mean, death is actually a big one. Have any idea the number of people you, you actually speak to? And you say, you know, oh, so-and-so just got divorced. Oh, did she? Yeah. She got divorced about six months after her mother died. Oh, did she? Did you know he got, he, he just got divorced, did he? Yeah. It's only about a year after his father died. Oh. I wonder what's going on there then. See, tragedies, traumas, shake relationships very very often and there's many a husband many a wife and they're not walking out on their partner they're not leaving and you know why <laughs> because i would never do that to my dear old dad how could i how could i ever go home and say dad i'm getting divorced he's 85 she's 90 i couldn't do it to them so i'm going to stick it out that's what i'm going to do and you know what happens? The last string that's holding many marriages together goes down into the ground. And that's not all that happens. They watch their, husband, their, their father or their mother go. And many a person walks away from that grave and thinks, it's going to be me. That will be me in 20, 30 years' time. And do I really want to spend the next 30 years with you? And so the statistics, again, show traumas, tragedies, shake homes. And we are foolish friends if we think it won't affect the church. Of course it will affect the church. We just need to be prepared for these things. Death, sickness, financial problems, disappointments. I mean, sickness alone. A friend of ours got married there four or five years ago. Married a, a, a big strapping African guy. Uh, she's white, actually. She's from Ireland. Got married. Praise the Lord. Fantastic. About two months. And he's been bedridden ever since. Struck down with some weird sickness. And that can rock your foundations. You didn't see that coming. Young couple. Financial stresses, of course. And disappointments. These are tragedies, traumas that can shake your marriage. Listen. Listen. Look at me a moment. If anybody tells you they got married and they had no disappointments, well... <laughs> Strong word to call them a liar, but there's a lot of dis I had a lot of disappointments when I got married. Loads of disappointments. Jeanette's too much of a lady, she wouldn't say she had two, so I'll say it for her. <laughs> Lots of disappointments. 
loads of disappointments, right? And so what happened? It's shaking, shaking, earthquake. And if you're not strong enough, and in certain ways you can be strong, and it'll hold you together. And you get over disappointments. You get over disappointments because you move on. You had hopes, false hopes, false expectations, and you begin to leave them behind. I did want this. I did think this. And I'm going to have to put it down. And I'm going to have to move on. I can't always be looking back. I've got to leave those false expectations, those things that I misunderstood. I've got to leave it and move on to married life as, as, as God has it for me and, and embrace that, accept that. Next one, number five. Again, these are in order of importance. Married couples that are happy, happily living together. Number five, they learn to fight fair. You know what that means? It means no punching, no eye gouging. No, I need you. <laughs> what does fight fair mean? It means that you learn every couple are going to have problems. Every couple are going to have arguments and issues. But you need to learn to sort them out sensibly like an adult. Now, I was thinking this morning, what, what's the student? Don't say this out loud. What's the stupidest thing you ever did? Don't say get married, please. It's the wrong answer. <laughs> What's the stupidest thing you ever did? The stupidest thing I ever did in my life was I was with this couple, right? And they are screaming at one another. But the guy who's been violent in the past punched his wife and all this. The guy, he's really well controlled because I'm there. But she's not. Because I'm there, she's really, I'm safe now. So she's ready to have a go at him. But to my shock, even after some time of counseling together, she was determined to punch him. She wanted to get at him, and I'm holding them apart in the hall, you know? And I'm saying, you know, easy, no, no, this is not the right way. Fight fair, yeah. And I turned to the woman, and this is what I said. This is the stupidest thing I've heard. So I said, look, don't, don't hit him. If you're going to hit anybody, hit me. As soon as I said it, I thought, that's a stupid thing. Oh, she didn't actually hit me, but it did defuse the situation. She, she sort of, I think she feathered the side of my head type thing. But crazy. And in your marriage, that's not the way to sort out a problem. Amen? You're going to have to learn. You know, children throw tantrums. Little kids like this scream and shout, I don't have my way. Children throw tantrums. But an adult who hasn't learned a sensible way. Look, I get mad at Jeanette all the time. All the time. What am I going to do? Shout? How pathetic is that? Look, she, she will make me angry. Okay? So I'm now very, very angry. She's done something. I'm really annoyed. Now, who's the enemy? Not Jeanette. She's my best friend. She's on my side. Who's my enemy? Anger. Anger is the enemy of our marriage. Anger is... And if it comes out of me, I'm the destroyer. I'm destroying my best friend. I'm destroying the one put there to support me. What sort of an idiot? Oh, yeah, of course, the foolish wife, not just wife, pulls my own house. I got it. I got it. So we got to fight by fighting fair. It means we learn to <gasps> deep breath. I'm really mad at that. I'm furious. <gasps> I'm not going to deal with it while I'm mad. I might. That would be stupid. Take a deep breath and leave it. The more serious the issue is with Jeanette, the longer I would leave it. 
<gasps> and ask God, I need grace. I need grace to go to my wife and I pray you will give her grace. Grace to receive what I'm about to say because I'm at, God forgive me for being angry. I've got no right for that. Take this anger out of my system. And when the moment is right and you feel you can minister a correction, then you can go right ahead. But anything else is wicked. Pure and simple, it's wicked. Wicked speech, wicked tongues, <laughs> wicked hearts, wicked careless minds. Children throw tantrums when they don't get their way. But mature Christians, adults, should be able to fight fair. Because you're going to not fight, you know what I mean. You're going to have disagreements. And you're going to have to learn to sort them out properly sooner or later. So if you haven't done that, I guarantee you, you can do it. That can be your story. You don't have to have an unhappy home, but you're going to have to do what everybody else, grow up and face the issues maturely and properly. Fight fair was number five. Sixthly, they lock the bedroom door. And of course, that refers to their sex life. You've got to be in some ways creative within your sex life. And good sex is a result of a good relationship. If there's not good sex, it's plain and simply because you're not putting enough investment into the relationship. Now, every time I speak about sex, you will always find someone come up and say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't talk about that. This is a church. <laughs> How mad is the world, you know? This is a church. Yeah, sure thing. The wonder the world is in the mess it's in. God, this Bible here, has no problem talking in great detail about sex. And part of our problem is, is we just don't do that. You know, many years ago, this girl came. It's about a 15-year-old girl. She came to us and she didn't want to say things. But you could read between the lines. And she was talking about the societies living in and this pressure and that pressure. And my mates are doing this and my mates. And I thought, oh, you're sleeping around. You just don't want to say it. You're just a cry for help. I looked at the situation and normally with someone 15 or so, you wouldn't go over the parents' head, but you hadn't gone to the parents, you'd come to us. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I've got a couple of good books on that very topic. That way I can deal with the issue, but not actually be in the situation. So I brought these books in. I gave them to her. I said, have a read of those. They'll help you understand just how serious sex is and the amount of damage you can do. So she took the books home. A couple of weeks go by. The dad comes in. He's found the books, slaps them into my chest. What on earth? Who do you think you are? You give them to my daughter? My child? My little girl? I said, yes, I did. She, she's only a kid. I said, you know, all her mates will be sleeping around, you know. Oh, please, do, I, I take them back and do not give them back to her. I said, she didn't go to you. She's got a problem. She didn't go to you came to us so there's some problem in the home sir and you're going to have to get relevant within your home because your daughter's i believe is under pressure do you know that girl went on to have either two or three children by two or three different men in about a two or three year period and i met the mum who i hadn't spoken to but i met the mum and she walked up you know when people remorse you know remorse is a terrible thing and that mum came up to me one day and she said oh 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 that's where gnashing of teeth comes. It's remorse, you know, when you really wish. And she was saying, I wish we had listened to you. My daughter's destroyed. We didn't see it. Blind to it. 
Well, I later found out actually when that door, when I was talking to that girl, she was actually sleeping with a guy right then at the same time in history, you know? You've got to get relevant, folks. Amen. Amen. You've got to deal with the society in which we live and help people cope with the society in which we live. And there's a lot of weird and wacky stuff out there. Christians have sex lives too, you know. Amen. Christians have sex lives too. And you wouldn't believe you get some wacky phone calls. And you've got to learn to, you know, excuse me, Pastor Mike, you know, my wife wants me to dress up in a policeman's uniform. Is that a sin? You know? I'm thinking, so when I get phone calls like that, I say, actually, everything to do with policemen's uniforms, that's Pastor Tom's department. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be joking. But if anybody has a hang-up with Donald Wears Your Trousers, you need to see Jim Tran. He can help you with that one. Praise the Lord. But just in terms, of, in terms of sex and what's right, what's wrong, right? That's a big topic. Something the church is, is fearful of and stays away from. Something we need to dig up because it's buried alive and destroys marriages. Amen? Sorry, Tom. Praise the Lord. <laughs> remember, remember, and this is a, a crucial point. If God is not in your sex life, you haven't really got one biblically. You haven't got a real one. What you've got is sex, but you haven't got eros. Remember, sex and eros are two very, well, they're completely different things. As a Christian couple, you could well be having sexual intercourse, but that's not eros. And if you do that, you could have a lot of trouble in your relationship, a lot of distance, a lot of coldness, and not quite know what's wrong. Amen. And you can kind of spot it very quickly, you know, when you see couples like, yeah. There's no, there's no eros here. There's, there's, there's something wrong in this relationship. And what, you know, sexual intercourse, you don't have to be a Christian. Anybody out there, any man and woman can have sexual intercourse. It's just procreation. It's a physical act, right? And it will most often take more out of you than it ever puts into you. But when Christians do that, that that'll destroy your marriage. There'll be no intimacy there properly. Eros is a completely different thing. You just read it in Ephesians. Eros is a miracle. It's when two people who are born again, become one. That's what it is. So God is in that equation, and I'll deal with it in weeks to come, but God is in that equation. And you cannot have a healthy sexual relationship within the home unless first that man is in communion with God because he's bringing God to the bed. Right? God's not afraid of your bed. You may be, and you may have had a traditional upbringing, but go home and read for your homework. Read Song of Songs every day this week. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and you'll soon find out what God thinks of sex. Do you know what God would say to you about sex? I invented it. It was his idea. So eros is not really, of course, it's, sex is involved in eros, but it's not sex. Sexual intercourse is what the world has. Only the church has eros. But... Be warned, as a Christian couple, you can still have sex, but still not know what's wrong or why your marriage has not quite, you know, kicked in in that area. There's still a coldness there because eros, what has to happen? Three things. The, the man has got to be right with God, right? He's got to be in good relationship with his wife, right? And the, the, the three, as it were, you know, really become one. And to say, I'll cover that in weeks to come. It binds you together. Eros brings couples together. It doesn't drive them apart. 
So we do need to talk about sex, and we will, and we need to. We'll do some privately, and we'll do some publicly, but we need to explode these myths. So number five, fight fair. Number six, learn to lock the bedroom door and protect your sex life. Remember, all good sex comes out of a good relationship. That's it. No relationship, you're on the wrong road. There's no eros can possibly happen in that, in that marriage. Number seven, they found that happily married couples always knew how to laugh and particularly to laugh at themselves. And I've given you a little list on the back of your notes there, at least on some of the notes it's on the back. We didn't get them photocopied completely. But it's an excellent list about what laughter actually does to you physically and mentally. Laughter relaxes your whole body for at least 45 minutes. Laughter boosts the immune system. It triggers the release of endorphins. It protects the heart. You need to learn to laugh at ourselves. We need to learn to laugh instead of complaining. Amen. Right? We need to learn to lighten up. Laughter helps you keep things in perspective. It helps you deal with stress. And we need to emulate kids. Do you know the statistics? Shocking. The average child laughs 200 times a day. The average adult, 15. That's appalling. We need to lighten up, amen? And look at the mental health on the bottom there. Laughter dissolves distressing emotions. It helps you relax and recharge. And it will keep things in perspective. It is a very healthy thing. You know when you cry because you're sad, it's a very different physiological process in your body than when you cry because you're laughing at each other or something like, or laughing at yourself. What, what happens when you're laughing at yourself is that, as it said there, the endorphins or whatever, it releases the immune system. It's a healthy thing, a healing thing. Good piece of advice. And the last one, so Yin could come for us there, is to develop double vision. And by that, I think what they mean is to be able to look both ways in life. I had a men's meeting once. There's about 25 guys all sitting around, and one guy on one end of the room had been married about five or six weeks, not long back from his honeymoon. And on the other end of the room was a guy who'd been married for like 35, 40 years. And they were just going around the room giving testimonies. You know, how are you, how are you? And the guy who's just like back from his honeymoon says, Oh, marriage is great, fantastic, wonderful. And there's a grunt from the other end, from the guy who's been married all those years. And he's going, Puh! And everybody sort of looks and he says, Marriage is tough. Very, very, very tough. And the newly married guy didn't want to give up his ground. So he started fighting back. And he said, well, I'm happy. I'm really happy. And the guy says, well, <laughs> Job's comforter, you know. All I can say is get ready for the future, you know. And that room went quiet and all eyes turned to me like umpire. What's the decision? Who's right? And I remember having to gather everybody and say, Hank, because that's a dangerous perspective if anybody leaves the room with the wrong idea. I said, listen, everybody, they're both right. It's not right and wrong, right and wrong. How crazy are you? They're both right. You, who've been married 35, 40 years, you need to listen to him. Double vision. Point eight. Happily married people show that they were able to look back and to remember the good things, the good bits. And that guy who's been married 40 years needs to do that. He needs to remember. Do you remember when we got married? Do you remember when we went on honeymoon? Do you remember when we did that? But he's forgotten to do that. And secondly, the guy who's newly married needs to look ahead 
and realized, you know what? It isn't going to be a rose garden. There's going to be tough things that I'm going to have to face. Hard times. And it, just statistically, it's proven. The ability for us to do that, makes, it makes us stronger. I want you to think, particularly the marrieds, but you can do it as a single person too. Think about your own life. You can think about your walk with God. I, I thought this morning about Jeanette. Looking back, what stands out? You know what stands out? One day we returned to Ireland and I had three services to preach on the following, on the Sunday. This is like Saturday. And I get up and I've got to write three messages sort of from scratch. It was a rush process. We had no time. Now she prays when I work. That's the deal. I work, she prays. So I start about half seven in the morning and I start preparing and I forget <laughs> she's in there praying. It was about two or three o'clock. Oh, Jeanette, are you okay? Yes, I'm praying away. Oh, thanks. It's very hard. I'm having a hard time knocking these messages out. But, but keep praying. Three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Oh, Jeanette, are you okay? Yes. I'm still praying for you. Okay. And I go back in and I work. I actually finished about two. I, I, th I think she fell asleep. Because I look back, I treasure that moment. I could cry right now. I think, my God, Jesus, thank you. When I look at other wives, I, I, I challenge you. How much support, Ezer Connecto, that strength can destroy your marriage, destroy your home. But the reason the strength was given to support the man and if you will support the man the reward you get is joy joy springs up you're free to be the woman God can make you to be so look back develop double vision think and, and even just ponder on what your wife has done for you how she stood by you how your husband has supported you and forgiven you over the years okay Let's bow our heads and invite the worship team back. Father, I pray your grace to come upon us as a church that we would learn. If we're single people here, we would take this time and we would learn, 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 learn. And not be uneducated or foolish like the world. And God, I thank you that we find ourselves in a place where we can get taught and grow in these things. So prepare us. Would you stand with me this morning and just close your eyes. Father, I pray for every single person here that the wisdom in the scriptures would begin to drip feed into them and they would not be like the world, but they would be so much wiser, built up by the scriptures, seeing the truths that's up ahead for them, protect them, educate them. And God, I pray for the marriages here that you will strengthen the husbands, particularly the men, make them strong in all they do and bless the women, God. Make them submissive, as, as Paul says, submissive wives, godly, godly wives. We commit ourselves to you in this coming week. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. 
I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.